first time, you just, uh, just got in here. I'm Tyler, I'm the pastor here. And if you haven't been here for a while, we just started a new series last week titled One City at a Time. Everybody say One City at a Time. Come on. Uh, it was birthed out of the book of Ephesians. You study the book of Ephesians, it was birthed out of Acts 19. Paul goes on a missionary trip, pastors a church for two to three years. It is this uh, city of a two to 250,000 people. It is the Eastern gate of Asia. You're gonna go through there. There was a road, there was a harbor. It was an amazing city, Ephesus. It would be a lot like San Francisco. It would be a lot like New York. It had one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. Caesar would keep his money there. It was this amazing spectacle in a city. And so Paul goes there and goes straight for the jugular and just starts talking about Jesus. And we see this amazing church birth out of this moment. And it says basically that there was this great disruption. If you heard me last week, uh, basically the gospel disrupts everything. The love of God disrupts everything. The peace of God disrupts everything. Grace is a force, it's not a concept. So Paul comes into Ephesus and he basically starts preaching the name of Jesus, loving people where they're at, people are getting set free, they're experiencing the grace of God and the whole city gets turned upside down. Today, we get to go into the book of Ephesians, it's a few years later now, and Paul is in prison. And he's writing the church, basically a manifesto, if you will. He's in prison saying, man, Honeymoon's probably over now, it's a few years past. Different cultures, different backgrounds. In the very beginning, everything's super easy. Let's just be honest. Church is super easy in the very beginning. Everybody's brand new, there's no offenses. Everybody's like, I love Jesus, you love Jesus, all good. But then you start to journey, and Paul Bay says, I'm gonna write this six chapter masterpiece about what God believes the church is supposed to be. Uh, Ephesians is this epistle that uh, basically, if I put it this way, uh, most theologians believe it's the greatest masterpiece of what the church is supposed to be as a mission of the church, how the church is supposed to operate. And so I'm not going to give you some academic teaching today from Ephesians 1. Uh, if that's what you wanted, I would, I would ask you to go by Logos. It's an amazing Bible study software program and to go through the commentaries. I love it, but, but really I believe that when Paul was writing this from prison, I'll hear this real quick. It's amazing. Chapter 1 is full of controversy, theological debate, division uh, amongst um, denominations. Churches have split over this uh, chapter in the Bible, and I'm going to touch on none of that, okay? (laughs) You're welcome. Um, I don't think Paul was writing for us to have some academic debate. He was writing this, what the commentary said was this theological symphony of this amazing context. It's a, a living eulogy to God. In the middle of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, you'll see Paul just bust out, praise be to God, because you see that he chose us before the world was created, that he adopted us, that he changed our life forever. He talks about grace in this thing called Ephesians. In Christ is in the book of Ephesians more than any other book. And so today, I want us to be moved by God, inspired by God, transformed by God. And of course, I'm going to teach today. I love teaching. But man, this book is not some academic thing to be dissected. It is alive and active, and it wants to get into your soul and birth life and birth, birth passion and vibrancy and freedom. And so we're going to get to, through about maybe five chapters, I mean five verses, uh, if I'm being honest, uh, in Ephesians. Maybe we'll go through ten. We'll see what happens. If you weren't here last week, I love giving a little context. Last week I'll do it, but I, I kind of want to give you the background of the book of Ephesians and then also the background of Ephesus. I, I kind of gave you a little quick one right there, but... Uh, it was written between 54 and 57 AD. Acts 19 is where it's birth. Acts 28 is where he's writing from uh, prison around that time. Uh, if you could sum up the book of Ephesians, I would say five words uh, is what the commentary said. Identity, community, power, and mission, and of course, gospel. Ephesians 1 and 2, uh, one is basically God's view of salvation. You'll see the Trinity in Ephesians 1, the, the role that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit play in salvation. 
It's an amazing thing. In Ephesians 2, it's, it's basically our perspective. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I, I didn't even know who Jesus is, and now I'm all about Jesus. It's this amazing thing. Ephesians 3, it's basically the calling of understanding the love of God and operating the love of God. The first three chapters of Ephesians, it's beautifully broken up in, in basically two, cha- two chapters. We have six, but the first three are the calling of the church. Four, five, and six is the conduct of the church. Again, the mission of the church. Pound for pound, page for page. Man, this is the book. I love the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a crush on it by the end of this, you're going to love Ephesians like I do. Come on. It's an amazing book. Uh, we always, I said this last week, but we know what we like about church. But man, you got to go to the word of God to find out the mission of the church. Riches is five times uh, found in the book of Ephesians. Grace 14 times. In Christ 15 times. More than any other epistle. Epistle is a fancy word for letters of the church. Glory eight times filled up or fullness six times. There's another phrase I found that I was studying this week, and it's but now. You'll find but now three to seven times. Depends on what translation, but you'll find verses like this. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light of uh, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. That's Ephesians 5, 8. Another one, Ephesians 2. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made uh, to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope lived in this world without hope. Here comes this phrase again throughout Ephesians. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God. But now, there it is again, you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Another one, Ephesians 2. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But now, oh, but God rich in his mercy, Oh, he's so rich in mercy. Man, you got to find yourself a rich friend and a rich father. And his name's Jesus and his name's God. Come on now. God does not run out of mercy. He's so rich. He's balling. You know what I'm talking about? Balling on a whole different level. So rich in mercy that he loved us so much. My wife loves me a lot. Like, like a lot. Sometimes where I'm like, okay, like back it up, girl. I'm just a dude, you know? You, you want to hug me all the time. You tell me I'm amazing. I'm walking out of the house, and you're like, dang, you look good. I'm like, chill, girl, it's church day. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) She loves me a lot. But man, you start to read the word, and there is a love not of this world that the Father wants us to understand that he has for us. I hope I salvaged that, did I? Okay. Um, (laughs) He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And here it is. It's only by God's grace. Everybody say grace that you have been saved. Hmm. I'm gonna read, I threw that on on purpose, I didn't drop it. I am afraid from falling now because of care of falling, but that's cool. Uh, hey, you played it like a champ. It was kinda like a dance where you're like, down and up and down and up. I'm gonna read Revelation 2, and then I'm gonna pray, and we're about to go to work today. I, I believe this, that God's heart for our church is not just to meet on Sunday. I believe the church is the greatest gift to a city. I believe the church is the greatest gift to a region. It's, it's Jesus' bride. So Jesus and his bride, you put those two things together, and it is the greatest gift. We're eight months old, and so, of course, we're still a baby, but the things we see and dream about our church becoming to a city, that maybe the city doesn't love us, oh, but you're going to love us. We're birthing a thing in January called I Love My City. We're trying to birth another thing called I Love My Nation, I Love My World. It's basically us becoming the disciples that God calls us to do to impact the world. And so there's different uh, groups that are going to be in I Love My City that are birthing. One that we are just beginning to birth, we're partnering with Safe Families. They're, they're foster kids that need a place to stay for a while. And it's an amazing ministry. And we believe in becoming a part of, of the solution and not the problem. So uh, last week, 
before I read this, I gotta set this up. Acts 19, man, the church of all churches. Man, I mean, you turn upside down San Francisco, basically, New York City, the Bay Area, all the other towns, 200 plus cities were transformed because Ephesus was transformed. It's an amazing thing. The whole Eastern region of Asia was transformed because one church decided to make their private faith become public, their private love of God become public love of God, their private selflessness, they shared it with everybody. Let's fast forward. Historians say anywhere 25 to 35 years after the church's birth. Let's see how, let's see how they're doing. It's 25, 35 years later. Let's see how the church is doing. Here it is. It's, it's the Lord writing to the church of Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you do not tolerate evil people. You examine the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. Man, when Jesus is talking, we got to listen. Here we go. You don't love me oh, or each other as you did at first. Acts 19, you had this love for people. You were sharing your wealth with people. You were sharing your time. You were giving your time to the city. You were loving people. Oh, and you loved me like crazy. You loved me. But 30 years later, this is not the church that was birthed. He goes on to say, look how far you have fallen. Oh, church, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove my lampstand from the place among the churches. Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Stop. They went from sons and daughters loving their father to hall monitors in a city. The church thinks it has this mandate to be a hall monitor of holiness, but holiness only happens when you fall in love with somebody. When you fall in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that love must be fostered. It is a daily investment of saying, God, I love you. I see myself as a son and not a hall monitor. I don't want our church in 10 years to say, what happened? I remember walking through those doors and we'd say, welcome to church. And people are like, woo! They're like, what's going on? We're just passionate about Jesus. But then 10, okay, okay. But 10 years later, we say, hey, welcome to church. And people are like this. Yeah, so, oh, that will not be our church. We will be a church that will learn from Ephesus. Oh, the church of Ephesus, we're gonna learn from the book of Ephesians because Paul was basically saying, hey, stay the course. Title of my message, one city at a time, stay the course. Keep loving, keep praying, keep developing relationship. He's basically saying to him, hey, it was all about relationship in the beginning. You loved me and loved people, and now it's all about religion and rules. I, I, I don't bless the religion and rules. I'm not a religious rule God. I am a relational God. Become relational again. Let's pray. Lord, as we dive into Ephesians, oh, it's, it's grieving to think that a church that turned the world upside down within 20, 35 years bought into the lie of the enemy that religion was bigger than grace. Oh, that performance was bigger than grace, that rules were gonna save instead of grace. Oh, Jesus, it was by your grace that we were saved. It's by grace that you literally dwell in our life. It's unmerited favor, it's the riches of the kingdom. Oh, Father, we need you, we need you. Use Mission Church to change a city, to change a region, and Lord, why not? Maybe the world. Oh, we love you. And everybody said? Amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 1. We're gonna read Ephesians 1. Here we go, here we go. Ephesians 1. 
Ephesians 1 says this. We're going to go 1 through, uh, you know, let's just go through 11. Let's just do it, okay? And then I'll try to hit all of it. I might not be able to hit all 11 verses today, but I might as well read them to you because the word of God does not return void. Come on now, sharper than double-edged sword. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. Another translation, I'm writing to the saints of Ephesus. Everybody say saints. You're a saint. You didn't earn it. You received it by the grace of God. So you are a saint. Let's, let's see what that means. Uh, who are faithful followers of Christ. May God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace. Everybody say grace. grace. And peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Man, peace is all. That thing is priceless. You can't buy peace. Man, you can try to buy it in a bottle. You can try to buy it in pills. You can try to buy it in everything. But real peace. Man, if we could fight for it, contend for it, invest in it. You know where peace comes from? It comes from grace. Grace is the fountain, one, uh, one uh, commentary said, and peace is the stream. When you have grace for your spouse and grace for each other in a marriage and your relationship's good, you have peace in the home. But when you have no grace and you have a bar for somebody, man, there's a lot of fences and not a lot of peace. Can we agree with this? Goes on to say, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Oh, I love that. Oh, praise the God of the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going, to talk, we're going to touch on that today. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Man, he chose you before the world was created. I, I can't even fathom that kind of love. I can't even fathom that kind of plan. God's into the long play, by the way. Man, we are people, the prisoner of now, but man, God is into the long play. Even before the world was created, he chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family and bring uh, us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He didn't want to do it. I mean, he didn't have to do it, but he wanted to do it. He delighted in choosing us to become his sons and daughters. It's an amazing verse. So we praise God for his glorious grace. If you're brand new and you're wondering why people raise their hand and worshiping, right here is why. And we praise God because he saved us. We praise God because he redeemed us. We praise God because he restored us. If you could, we talk about the gospel being a disruptor. Just pause real quick. Try explaining a VHS tape to a 10-year-old kid. Let's try it. So we used to rewind. You used to have tracking. You had to spin it. And they'd be like, what are you talking about, you know? Go back to 8-tracks even. Try to describe an 8-track. I don't even understand 8-tracks, okay? <laughs> to a kid who goes on Spotify and goes, you hear this song yet? Click, click, bam, and just play it. Pause, fast forward. It's amazing. What happens is, is there are these things that disrupt our culture and destroy things forever. Jesus came into my life and destroyed depression. I praise God because of it. You meet me and go, I, I couldn't even see that on your life. I had it. It was a part of my life. I was an angry person, selfish person. Grace and the gospel came into my life and disrupted those things in my life, and he's making a new creation. My best friends, who's a pastor, people, when I try to describe who Drew was in high school, they can't even picture my best friend Drew uh, being who he was. My best friend Drew, I wouldn't even trust him with my girlfriend in the same room. This guy was bad news. <laughs> he's bad. My best friend, but I didn't trust him. And now it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to have kids. Maybe they're going to be our godparents. Oh my gosh. How did that happen? I wouldn't even trust them with a girlfriend, and now I would trust them with my kids. You want to know why? Because of what the Lord has done. And so we praise God because he disrupts our bad rhythms and gives us a new life. He doesn't take something old and just kind of paints it up. He gives you a whole new thing. A whole new thing. Come on. We're going to do seven, and then we'll uh, go in the message, or, or we're going to be here for about four hours. Uh, 
Let's do this. Uh, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with love, uh, with his blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us. Oh, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I'm going to keep going. God has now revealed to us his mysterious uh, will regarding Christ, which is the, the mysterious will is the long play. How's he going to save it? His name is Jesus, which is to fulfill his own good. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together in the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we, are, we have received an inheritance. Everybody say inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. Stop. All right, let's look at the first part. The first, I have a two-part message basically today, and the two-part message is the responsibility and then the response. So those first few chapters, when Paul writes to the church, he is giving them an identity that you are saints. With identity comes activity, comes responsibility. When you become a husband, that becomes a part of your identity. There's a responsibility. I am a husband now. I want to love my wife, serve my wife. I want to provide for my wife. I am a husband. There is responsibility with that title. With that title comes activity. When you become a father, it becomes a responsibility. Well, the saints have a responsibility. So we're going to talk about the responsibilities of saints. I feel like I need to define even the word saint. Saint back then was a Jewish term that literally just meant designated for a holy service. We think of saints today as what the Catholic Church has done is a bunch of guys with big hats go to the guys with the really big hats. They go to the really, really big hats, and then they sit around, and they look at each other's big hats, and then they talk about people, and they're like, okay, this guy, you got to die to be a saint, by the way. But actually, Jesus says, actually, you die uh, to sin and come to life to become a saint. Come on now. So, so uh, man's way is completely different. God's way is simply, I chose you to be a saint. You are now designated for a holy service, a holy service of loving a region. A holy service of being light in a dark world. A holy service of loving where there is hate. You are called to be a saint. So there's a responsibility on the church now. He's saying to Ephesus, you are now a saint in your city. You're going to be an ambassador of heaven. Goes on to say the other two responsibilities of the church is he goes, may God give you grace and peace. Man, the church must have grace and peace to succeed. If grace and peace is not in the church, we are dipped. We're dipped. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it with religion. Grace is a massive thing. So let's look at the first, the first thing. We are called to be saints, faithful followers. So the first point Paul writes is, to us is he has uh, given us a responsibility as a church. If we want to change the world one city at a time is to be a saint. Now what does it mean to be faithful to your task? What is your task? And this is where I feel like the enemy tries to trick us. We sometimes get an identity from somebody or something and we get told that we're less than. And so you see your task as I'm just supposed to not get in the way. That's my role at church. That is not from the Lord. Some of you see your task as being a business person or business, uh, a man or businesswoman, and you have this superman or superwoman complex. You're supposed to be this for everybody, and that is not what God's called you to be. He's just called you to love people. He's called you to be a saint. And a saint comes with this responsibility of taking the private faith and the private gospel and making it public to the world. I want to share an illustration with you. It's a very simple one, but I think it will, will resonate with you. I was at a wedding on Friday. And on Friday at the wedding, instead of giving out cake slices, they did cake pops. Who loves cake pops? Come on now. Amazing. Now, nobody told me that there were cake pops. I had no idea. No idea that there were these delicious red velvet lemon cake pops at the other end of the room. So Caleb comes up, and the cake pops kind of look like a microphone. And Caleb was like, (sighs) and I look at him like, where did you get that? You know, I'm a little frustrated with Caleb. I'm like, you go find a cake pop, and you don't tell nobody? Oh, man, band of brothers, you better understand, when we roll together, you find like th- things like this, you better tell me, okay? I was hot, okay? So, so Caleb goes, come on, I'll show you. So he walks me to the cake pop table, 
And there's this glorious thing of different cake pops, chocolate, red velvet, uh, lemon. And so I grab a red velvet one. I come back, I get some coffee, and I sit down, and I literally talk to nobody. I'm just, <laughs> just enjoying my, uh, my red velvet. I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I almost didn't have one of these. Caleb was secret. He was being secret, you know. Frustrated, frustrated. Oh, it gets better. I look up. And Kara, who just did an announcement, she's got this bouquet of like eight cake pops. And she's walking around, you want a cake pop? Does anybody want a cake pop? And I was like, oh my gosh, I did exactly what Caleb did. <laughs> I grabbed one cake pop and I was like, mm, this is all for me. Mm-hmm. All mine. <laughs> you know? And then I go and get mine. I sit down. I'm not telling anybody. But Kara, come on now. Being a saint. Oh. She goes and gets the cake pops. And she goes, who wants some cake pops? Come on now, anybody, anybody wants some cake pops? I want to catch you real quick. In the church, we need way more Kara's and less Tyler's and Caleb's. We do. Oh, catch this, catch this, come on. We are called to be saints, faithful followers to the task that God has given us. You have encountered this thing called the gospel, grace, love, peace, victory. And you get this thing called the gospel, and then you just want to keep it to yourself. And then if anybody says anything that's wrong, you just post on Facebook how evil they are, and you keep eating your cake pop. But what God says is we're supposed to bring hope to hopeless places. That's the, that's the, that's the role of a saint. Where there is no hope, we bring hope. Imagine, think of one of the most hopeless places on the planet. The DMV. It's evil. If you work at the DMV, I forgive you. You didn't create the structure, but I think it's from Satan. My wife has to renew her driver's license. I said, we'll make an appointment. It'll be easier. She tried to make an appointment. No joke, 2019 in March, she can get in. That's, that's, that's not okay. That's six months. And we're like, we'll check a different one. Six months. It, it's, it's unreal. Imagine you're sitting at the DMV. God, am I ever going to be able to drive my car again? It's been an hour. I'm, I'm number 88, and they're on number negative 22. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for years. Imagine, I found a different DMV. You can come in, they give you a glass of whatever, a glass of wine, a glass of water, maybe a, a pressed juicery, whatever you like, okay? A coffee. You walk into that DMV like, oh my gosh, we're so glad you're here. And you're like, oh, thank you. Oh, here's the line right here. Oh, AKA no line, welcome. And you literally, you tell them who you are. Oh, you want to renew your driver's license? Oh, let's take a picture of you. Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. We do beautiful pictures here, yeah. <laughs> We use that Instagram thing called the pretty filter. You're welcome. Um, and they give you a driver's license. You walk out, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I love this. That was amazing. And you just go home and tell nobody. That's whack, right? That would be weak sauce. Your friends are telling you, yeah, I've been, oh. I sat at the DMV for like eight hours yesterday. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> Catch this. Imagine somebody walking in, because here's what the, the role of a saint, the role of a saint, the task of a saint Everybody at this DMV, I found a new DMV. I, there's a new way. We don't have to do it this way anymore. You don't have to be a prisoner. You don't have to be a number anymore. Come over to this DMV. It will change your life. The word gospel back then, catch this real quick. It was a term that was commonly used back then to announce a victory in war or to announce a new Caesar, a new king. It was not just a biblical term. It was actually used back then. So when there was a new Julius Caesar, they would come out with a proclamation telling everybody, Good news, we have a new Caesar named Julius. And people would rejoice because now I have a new ruler that might be more generous than the last one. I'll have a new king. 
They would have runners that would run the good news if they were at war. And they would say, hey, when we win the war, you've got to run and proclaim the good news. Because if not, the people that are in the town, if they find out that we lost the war, they know the enemy will come to this town and rape and pillage and steal and kill. And if they don't hear the good news, they'll turn on each other. Some of them will commit suicide. Some of them will run around and flee and be in nowhere for the rest of their life. And what the gospel message is, is us taking it public and saying, don't kill yourself, there's hope. Stop it, suicide's on the rise, stop. No, there's this man named Jesus who died and he came and died on the cross for you. He wants to redeem it. You don't think peace is possible? I know it's possible. I have it and you can have it too. This is what Paul is saying in the first line of Ephesians. And if we forget to love people and we just get selfish and hog everything to ourselves, oh, grace just for me. I just come to church to, so I can have a better week. I just come to church so I can have a little bit better this and better that. I'm just having God supplement. If I come to church, maybe he'll bless my business and I'll be rich. That's, all I, that's the only reason I come to church. Oh, the church will die with that mindset. Come to church and say, man, I'm a saint. And when I leave here, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that there is a new way. I will bring hope to hopeless places. Let's keep going. Second thing the responsibility gives to the church is he gives the church the responsibility of grace. Why does Paul in his epistles write this over 100 plus times? Grace. Why is he trying to communicate the importance of grace over and over again? Why, especially to the Ephesians, he doesn't start every letter like this, but to the Ephesians, he understands this amazing movement that happened and how many people they're going to have to steward and if grace isn't the biggest thing in the church culture, they're going to be demolished. I want to catch, I want to catch this word real quick. Uh, Romans 3.23, I want to kind of show you the rhythm of basically the enemy of the church. It's one of the enemies of the church. Romans 3.23 says this. We're going to get to a couple of grace verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody say all. All have sinned. Revelation 5. So Revelation 3, Romans 3. Uh, oh, excuse me, Romans 5, not Revelation 5. Hello. Um, Romans, uh, Romans 5, let me fix that real quick. So this is always the test run. Here we go. Um, <laughs> Romans 3.23 is the diagnosis of all, everybody. So everybody has a sickness of sin. Nobody comes in perfect. So many people come in thinking like, well, I, I'm the sinner. No, we all have sinned. We all have the same sickness. That's the diagnosis. Here's the prognosis of that diagnosis. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. The, the prognosis of this diagnosis is death. Sin will destroy relationships. Sin will destroy your promise. Sin will destroy your mind. It will destroy your soul. Oh, one of my mentors told me you're only as sick as your secrets. Secret sin will destroy you. When you try to uh, handle secret sin, when you try to hide it and put on cosmetic Christianity, it will destroy you. It is not the way to fix sin or destroy sin. He goes on to say, for everyone's sin, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater, everybody say greater, come on, greater is God's wonderful grace, everybody say grace, and his gift of forgiveness to many, oh, through the other man named Jesus Christ. There's your antidote. The antidote to the sickness is grace. Let me catch this real quick. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the, say it with me, grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting 
many. Stop. What Paul is trying to communicate through Romans, and most of the people believe that uh, Hebrews was written by Paul also. Debatable, but we'll just roll with it today. Another way that Paul says it is see to it that nobody misses out on the grace of God. Or poisonous roots will take handle. What does that mean? Poisonous roots create poisonous fruit. And poisonous fruit create death. So in the church, basically what Paul is communicating is if you try to make religion bigger than grace, it will kill the church. Because the antidote to sin is not religion. If we could be more religious and follow more rules, because that's what they were trying to do in these times. They were trying to have all these rules and religion to save themselves from this thing called sin. Well, if I can just do all the religious things right, then I'm good. It's amazing when you go to another culture or you diagnose your own culture and realize how off it can be. And here's what I mean by that. Elizabeth Elliot, she's the wife of Jim Elliot, one of the greatest missionaries ever. Have you ever seen the movie Into the Spear? That's a movie about him. But Elizabeth Elliot shares a story when she was visiting a tribe. She visits this tribe, and again, she has the culture of America, and this culture of this tribe is completely different. And they blow their nose like this. Just hear me out. They would take their two fingers, and they would blow their nose on their fingers. Okay? And then after that, they would just throw it on the ground. Elizabeth Elliot is disgusted. Okay? She's like, this is gross. Okay? Uh, but she doesn't know what to do. She's trying to make friends. So eventually, she said, I just got to tell them, here's how we do in America. Watch this. She pulls out a handkerchief. She blows her nose in the handkerchief, folds it up, and puts it in her pocket. And they go, that's disgusting. <laughs> you hold on to your snot. That's so gross. We get rid of it. Okay? And she starts to laugh. She goes, oh, my gosh. My culture was wrong, too. And what happens a lot in church is that we'll go from church to church, culture to culture, and not understand how gross it is to God's culture. Oh, man, God's culture will make every religious church look disgusting. God's culture will make every self-righteous church look disgusting. I don't know about you, but I wrote down a couple churches that I've been a part of and I've witnessed. I also wrote down, uh, just really simply, where is it at right here? Yeah, I wrote down the opposite of a grace church is a religious church. I want to catch this real quick. And man, if you're a religious person today, I'm in the boat with you. I'm experiencing grace on a different level this season. Grace is destroying sin in my life. It's destroying things that I never thought uh, it could. I thought religion was going to destroy him. I thought me trying harder was going to destroy him. No, it was by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, that things in my life are breaking off because God's the one who does it. I don't do it. So this is what religion does. Let me, and you may find out what you resonate with real quick. Religion is this. This is the religious church. Do this or do that. That's what it's kind of known for. You walk in, well, they say do this and don't do that. The grace church says it's already been done. Man, Jesus, he already did it on the cross. Well, I'm worried I, don't, I haven't done enough. He already did all of it and then some. The religious church is all about the outward, cosmetic Christianity. It's got all the gear, but none of the game. Everybody looks like they're doing great, but they're not even doing anything outside the city. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Talking to somebody else about you. That is not uh, the way that Christianity is supposed to work. It's, here's what grace does. It's inward. It's heart issues. Inside out. Make sure that grace gets in the heart instead of bitter roots. Because when grace gets in the heart, grace gets to other people. The religious church is all about rules. The grace church is all about relationship. The religious church is fueled by shame. That's your motivation. Well, if I don't do this, I just feel terrible. Oh, I feel so terrible when I do this. And oh, it's, I just, oh, don't get me wrong. Conviction's good. Conviction isn't pointing how terrible you are. Conviction is pointing to the opportunity of doing what is right. Grace. Oh, the motivation of grace is gratitude. You're fueled by gratitude. 
I don't wash the dishes because I know my wife's going to be angry with me. I get this moment once in a while, I'm like, I'm married to the greatest woman on the planet. I'm going to wash the dishes. Come on now. Come on now. And so I'm washing the dishes out of gratitude. I'm not saying I wash them a lot, okay? I don't want to get this twisted. I'm not going to lie from the platform. But sometimes, like, man, my girl, she's been working so hard. I'm going I'm to clean the house. She'll come home, we'll clean the thing. It's not out of shame. It's out of grace. It's fueled by relationship. The reason why I don't sin, the reason why I don't want to get drunk, the reason why I don't want to sleep around is because I love God so much, I don't want to ruin this relationship. My yes to God affected all my other no's. Come on, here we go. Religion. Oh, these are the feelings you feel in religion. Fear and frustration. You're always just, oh, just fear and frustration. But the grace feelings, man, you just feel freedom. Freedom. You know what grace does? Oh, catch this real quick. I've been a follower for a year of my life. I say things I shouldn't say once in a while. I watch things maybe I shouldn't watch because I don't know yet. But man, the church I go to, when they find out I do stuff, they don't get mad at me. They realize I'm on a journey. And I'm free to grow. I'm free to be on the process journey. There's no perfection bar at my church. I, I, can, I heard a man say, oh, it, I loved it. He said, you know what your church is? I said, what? And your church is a safe place where people fall apart. I said, oh, Lord, may that always be our church. May people know that this is a soft place to fall, that we don't shoot the wounded. But, man, when you fall here, man, grace is going to help you get back up, and it's going to fuel you that you're going to want to live the way God called you to live because it's the best way for your life. It is an abundant life. It overflows your life. A religious church, finally, the outcome is pride and guilt. Gloomy or grumpy. You're a prideful church. Well, I'm the one who didn't do this. I'm the one who does this. I'm the one who really gets it. Oh, this is who I, oh my gosh, I was, I was amazing this week. And you feel amazing about what you did that week because you followed all your religious rules. It is the worst roller coaster to be on, the religious church. Oh man, I'm going to run one full month of being everything I'm supposed to be to Jesus. You set this terrible bar that you think is good enough for God. And then when you fail, you just feel shame. Oh. The things I know I'm not supposed to do, I did this week. Oh, But here's what grace is. Here's the grace, church. Not pride and guilt, but just love. God, today I'm going to pray because I love you. I'm going to talk about you today because I love you. I'm going to choose you today because I love you. And when you fail, you go, oh, thank God that you love me more than I could ever understand because when I fail, you don't give up on me. Oh, you want to restore me? You want to make me wider than the snow? You say that when I confess to my sins that you are faithful to forgive them, to make them farther than the east is from the west. Man, I want to have a grace church, not a religious church. Can I get an amen? I honestly think I'm only going to get through the first part of my message. It's 1034, but that's okay. We can do it two-parter. Is it okay with two-parters? Yeah, because we have another service. I, not, I don't want to cut the word of God sh uh, short, um, but uh, we do rent this place. Um, <laughs> We just need to get a building. So if you own a building or want to give me a building for our church, um, I'm willing to receive it. <laughs> By grace. By grace. Let's keep going. Grace must become our culture and must reign in our culture. I want to read you a verse real quick that it finishes with. It says, so that just as sin and, uh, reigned in death, so also Christ might reign through righteousness. Oh, grace might reign through righteousness. Righteousness is Jesus. Come on now. 
Verse 20 in Romans, it says this, the law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. For our church to become everything supposed to be, grace just needs to keep getting bigger. What happens in church is we get fixated on these two or three things and religious starts to get bigger, preference starts to get big, um, different ideologies start to get big. Well, if everybody starts to get what I'm passionate about, then we'll be fine. And what you find out is we're a body of Christ and every single part of the body needs grace. We have people that are unbelievably passionate about serving the city with the orphans. And we're going to have a part of the body that is why they're on this planet. We have people in this church that are unbelievably passionate about seeing marriages restored. We're going to have, by grace, watch that and celebrate it. We have people who are unbelievably passionate that people would understand that they can uh, encounter the spirit of God and have it overflow in their life and overcome the enemy by the power of God and not by their own strength. These are all things that people need. But if grace, Jesus, the gospel is not at the center, we become a church that starts to fixate on one thing instead of the thing. Is it making sense today? I have a bunch of other churches I want to share with you. I'm debating if I wanted to do it. It's, uh, I'm going to do it. Let's do it. Um, a couple other things grace does. Grace gets us close to God. Grace gets us close to God. Some people think that prosperity is the evidence that they're close to God. Or some people think poverty gets them close to God. No, no, no. Jesus gets you close to God. We will not be the prosperity church. We will not be the poverty church. We're going to be a church that says grace got me here. Jesus got me here. Prosperity is not going to be our litmus test. Oh, man, if you go to this church, you get rich. Just so rich. You know what I'm saying? No. Now, here, here's the deal. I believe you should. I think we should be the rich church. I believe that God's given that mandate in our church. We're going to be rich in relationship, rich in joy, rich in purpose, rich in the, the gospel. And you know what? I believe God is going to pour out his provision on this church. I believe that there is going to be blessing. God did this. He want to come give abundance. But it's not our litmus test. It's not what we live for. It's just something that is a, uh, a fruit of really the core of our roots. Grace. Some people go, well, poverty is the only way really to be healthy and whole. Show me a scripture. No, poverty doesn't get us close to God. No, Jesus, grace. Another one. Signs and wonders get us close to God. The signs and wonder church. The Bible says, Jesus says, the ones who chase after signs and wonders are evil. Chase after me and signs and wonders will follow. It's so easy. Oh, this is why it's so sad for Ephesus. In 30 years, they started chasing something else instead of Jesus. He said, it was all, it was me and you. It was me and you, and so you started chasing something else. Oh, it was me and you, but then you started chasing signs and wonders. Don't chase signs and wonders. Chase me and watch signs and wonders follow. Watch a city get changed. Chase me. Come on, another church. I call it the climb the church ladder church. Climb that ladder. Get in church. I do these three things. I'm starting to look like the person from going JV to varsity church. The problem is there's only one ladder in the Bible, and it's Jesus coming down the ladder, not us going up the ladder. Come on now. Grace got Jesus to us. Come on now. Grace got Jesus to us. We're not supposed to try to earn our salvation by climbing some weird human ladder. We're going to allow God to come to people because he chose us first. Here we go. Another one. Courtroom church. Ooh. I've been at those churches. Here we go. You want all the bad people at church to pay and to be exposed. If people knew about that person. Oh. Okay, so the way I'm going to expose them is I'm going to have everybody pray for them. <laughs> been to those churches. The courtroom church. No! Grace covers those people. Oh, no. Not this person. Not this person. Oh, I'm praying for them. We're in the long play here. I've been doing life with this person for eight months. I get that they're not Jesus yet. I get it. They've got shortcomings. I get it. They failed. I get it. But in our church, we got this thing called grace, and we wrap them up in it. 
We wrap them up twice, double, triple, uh, everything. Boom. Where they're like this, walking in grace. That's what we do at our church. We're not the courtroom church. Well, they should have done this, and they should have done that, and now I'm leaving. Take your religious spirit and leave. We want more grace. I want us to be a church. When people come in, they know, okay, I get it. For the only, the only way people are going to become everything God called them to be is they got to be able to say, yep, yep. Let me catch this real quick. I've lied. I've lusted. I've cheated. I've manipulated. I have not forgiven people. I've withheld love from people that I didn't deem worthy. I have done sins that I don't even want to say from the platform. And thank God that I didn't live in a courtroom church, but the grace of God redeemed me. And because of that grace, who am I to withhold it from the next one? That is, that is the courtroom church that needs to die. Man, I want grace in my life. And then you got the classroom church. You give yourself a grade every day. That's a good day. Zero. If zero is Satan and 100 is Jesus, about 85 today. It's pretty good. Don't grade your days. Just worship Jesus every day. That's it. Worship him. Be gra gratitude. No grading, gratitude. Well, last but not least, you have the convenient church. Oh, the country club church. Come here for yourself. It became a yacht club to you and not a battleship. This is not a place to get you comfortable. Man, this is a search and rescue mission. Man, we're trying to get everybody, everybody to know the love of God. Everybody to find the peace of God. Everybody to be restored by God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to finish with the last thing that Paul shares in the first two chapters of the Bible. <laughs> we did not get far today, everybody. That's okay. Real quick, I want to read you two G.K. Charleston quotes, uh, Chesterton, excuse me, G.K. Chesterton. All evil began with some attempt at superiority. All evil began with some attempt at superiority. So in the church, trying to be superior to other people, I'm better than this person. We're going to know such thing. All of us. Jesus is where we point. Come on now. Second thing, I, I thought it was fascinating. Idolatry is committed not merely by setting up false gods. Oh, catch this real quick. But also by setting up false devils. By making men afraid of war or alcohol or economic law when they should be afraid of spiritual corruption and cowardice. The church is not going to be some scary place where we teach people to be afraid of everything. We're going to teach them that grace is the big bad boy. Grace is big. Sin is small compared to grace. Fall in love with grace, fall in love with Jesus, and all those other things, we're good. We will not be the Facebook people that tell people not what to do and what they should do because if it's not fueled by grace, it becomes religious. Could you imagine me coming up to you at the, um, uh, at the plaza in Walnut Creek and saying, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run a 40-yard dash, I'm going to time you, and then I want you to do some push-ups. You're like, who are you? I'm your coach, do it. I didn't ask you to be my coach. I know, but Facebook came around, so now I can coach anybody I want. I can tell anybody to do whatever. I get on Facebook and tell everybody what they should do. That is not how you advance the gospel. We don't coach people unless they invite us. Hey, show me where those cake pops are at. Come on, coach. Hey, show me where that piece is at. I want that piece. Show me how to pray. Because when you pray, I feel different. Come on. Start. We get so fixated on the silliest things as humans. 
Leave it to humans to make Ephesians 1 this divisive thing when Paul was writing this amazing symphony of the greatness of God. And if we fall in love with the greatness of God, the church can do something really great. Last but not least, and I'll leave you with this, is he goes on to say that he wants the church to have peace. Oh, to have peace. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Makers. Blessed, another translation, blessed are those who work for peace. Peace does not happen on accident. We're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to cultivate it. We're going to have to pray for it. In the church, a peacemaker does this when they're upset. Lord, I forgive them. You forgave me, I forgive them. I bring peace to this relationship, Lord, through your peace. You go to that person if you have to and you have a conversation with them. It's called reconciliation. Man, the only way that we're going to have peace in this church is that we commit to it, that I'm going to be a child of God. That peace will be important to me. That if I feel any discord with somebody, because here's the deal. Church have grace and peace, not religion and division. But what do most churches have, if we can just be honest? A lot of religion and a lot of division. A lot of silos. A lot of people saying like, oh, that person not so much. That person I like. That's not the church. Man, God. peace, peace, more peace. Oh, I forgive you. Oh, Lord, if there's some, this, uh, this is bothering me, Lord. I know you're doing some heart surgery in me. I forgive him. Help me see what you're trying to do in my heart. Why I'm trying to fix everybody else's heart. No, you're trying to fix my heart. Will you guys bow your heads?